Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of John, chapter 1. We continue reading the rest of this chapter as we have in weeks prior. We'll start in verse 35 and read through the end of the chapter. The words will be on screen from the NIV version, but I do invite you to open your Bible or a device if you have one handy to follow along. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John said and had followed Jesus The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. And then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip then found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Introductions are hard sometimes. Have you ever been at a party with a lot of people you don't know and the one person you do know, the one who invited you, grabs your elbow and brings you over to meet someone you've never met before? And you might be feeling a little awkward if you're kind of like me and wondering what to say. And, and depending how it goes, you might just hit it off. I mean, if the host is really welcoming and clever, they'll say, hey, you should meet this person. Uh, you two have something in common. Uh, you both have uh, Egyptian hairless sphinx cats or, or, or something strange like that. Those are the ugliest cats in the world, by the way. Now, uh, this part of the Gospel of John has a little bit of that awkward feel of introductions. It's all about meeting the disciples and them meeting Jesus. Uh, we, we see how uh, Andrew and Peter come and follow Jesus. We get glimpses of this quiet, unnamed disciple who comes along with Andrew. He very well might be John, the author of this gospel. And we get to meet this guy named Nathaniel, who really only shows up here at the beginning and at the very end of the Gospel of John. And above all, we get introduced to Jesus, 
Oh, John has already given us the outlines in the, the beginning of the chapter. Uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, here we get to meet Jesus as this walking, breathing, living human being in the flesh revelation of God, and he gets introduced one-on-one to one person after another after another. And the introductions and the titles get longer and longer as you go. This is the Lamb of God. This is Jesus, Joseph's son. This is the Son of God. This is the the one about whom the prophets wrote. This is the King of the world. And by the end of it, we should be clear about who Jesus is. Because the Gospel of John is all about revealing Jesus to us. Who Jesus is and what he does. Even if almost no one gets it. The trouble here seems to be that no one knows who Jesus is. See, one day... Uh, About two days after John was interrogated by those Jerusalem religious police, they came down and asked him, why are you baptizing? And then one day later, John gives witness to Jesus' baptism. Then, Then here Jesus shows up again. This is day three of the Gospel of John. And Jesus says, uh, John says to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God. And that's enough for two of them to just get up and follow Jesus. Now that is a good start And we know John has already used this title, the Lamb of God, just the day before when he uh, talked about Jesus' baptism, even if it didn't make much sense to people. I mean, is he talking about Jesus, the Passover Lamb of God? well, Well, maybe, but the Passover Lamb is not a sin offering. It's a sign of God's protection over his people. Or maybe is Jesus the suffering servant lamb that Isaiah was talking about? Well, Maybe, but most of the people here don't know about that yet. Jesus isn't going to be revealed as this Lamb of God who gives his life, who is slain but not dead, who's sitting on God's throne until the end of the book of John and then the end of the book of Revelation. And the disciples don't know all of this, but somehow they do the right thing. They follow Jesus. Now the problem is, like the proverbial dog who's caught the bus, they don't know what to do with him once they've got him. See, some dogs chase things, anything, uh, and they try to use their hunting skills to get that thing down. But their cognitive skills aren't quite as good as their hunting skills. So once the dog has the thing, they don't know quite what to do with it. Now, John's disciples seem to be sort of in that kind of situation. They've found Jesus. They've followed him. And Jesus asks them, what are you looking for? This amazing open-ended question. And they seem sort of stumped. They don't know what to do with themselves. And they kind of blurt out, Rabbi, where are you staying? See, Jesus has asked this, this typical Jesus question, an open-ended, non-judgmental, simply revealing what is there or not there. Do, do they know what they're looking for? And more importantly, do they know who they are looking for? And it doesn't seem like it because all they ask is, where are you staying? And like that proverbial dog, once they've found Jesus, they don't know what to do with him. They they could have asked, Rabbi, who are you? Or Rabbi, what have you come to do? And instead, they just ask, where are you staying? And it seems like this ordinary question, this boring question focused on the everyday life. At first glance, there's nothing revealed in this question 
When we lived in Laos, we often got asked this question as we walked down the road between our house and my work. Uh, little kids would ask, uh, where are you staying? Or adults would say, where are you staying? And it was this strange question because uh, the word people used for staying there was this, this word for short-term stay. Like, like, you're a tourist here in town. What hotel are you staying at for a few days? And I bristled at that association because I spoke Lao. I, I'd lived there a while. I knew uh, what I was doing there. I was here for the, there for the long haul. I was a, a long-term resident, not a, a visitor. And eventually I realized that what people really wanted to know was what neighborhood was I from? What group, what village was I living in? So I would say, well, I'm living in the, beautiful, the southern part of the beautiful hill village in Ban Punsa'atai. And I was giving them my address uh, because with that, they could find me down to a pinpoint. I mean, there weren't too many six-foot-five uh, blonde white guys in our town. Where are you staying? That's the best the disciples could come up with. But uh, that's what they went with. And in asking that, they are asking way more than they realize. See, they're asking Jesus, where do you abide, is the word. Who are you with? Where do you dwell they're asking the one that John just called the Word made flesh who dwelt among us, the, the one who tabernacled among them. He pitched his tent with humanity. Jesus is this flesh and blood incarnate. He's with humans as much as the Word of, uh, who created all things can possibly be with humans. He is bearing their sins and sorrows with them. Jesus is with them. And this same Jesus who abides with them will invite them to abide with him. Uh, years later, toward the end of the book of John, when they get to that last supper and Jesus gives his last sermon, he invites his disciples to abide in me or remain in me. Like they are branches of a vine. They are dependent on Jesus in this fundamental way. They need nourishment and strength and everything from him. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Remain in my love. Stay with me as I have stayed with you. And so when they ask, where are you staying? They're asking way more than they realize. And Jesus gives them this invitation. He says, come and see. And the disciples go along to where Jesus is staying and they end up staying for the whole day. They see where Jesus is staying and somehow they, that gives them information about who he is and uh, what he is doing, enough to want to invite others to come along too. And one of those two disciples, we get their name, Andrew. The other one is unnamed, but he might very well be John, the author of this gospel, though we, we don't know for sure. And he seems to have a lot of inside information that he is not telling us. I mean, I'd like to know, what was the house like? What room was Jesus staying in? Was he staying with a family, or was he staying out in the countryside? And John probably knows all these things, but he doesn't tell us because it is not important. He gives us hints that he knows. He, he tells us it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He very well could have told us a whole lot of other things. But he doesn't tell us those other things because we don't need to know them. What we need to know is Jesus. Who is this man? He is one who is worth coming to see. And so Andrew invites his brother Simon to come along and see Jesus, and he says to him, we've found the Messiah. And the curious thing is this. They know Jesus is the Lamb of God, because that's what John told him, but how do they know Jesus is the Messiah? Well, maybe something they saw when he said, come and see. Maybe something he said that John doesn't tell us. 
But somehow Andrew has gotten the idea that this Jesus is the Messiah. He's made this pretty bold leap, and he's gone off to get his brother Simon to come quickly and meet Jesus. And Jesus knows Simon already. He knows him so well, he gives him a new name. Simon gets the name Cephas or Kephas, which means Peter. It means rock, a rock, the rock on which Jesus will build his church. So by now we've got three disciples. We've got Andrew and Peter and that unnamed one who we maybe we'll call, we'll call him John. And to these, Jesus adds a fourth disciple really quickly. He goes and finds Philip. Now we don't know who Philip is. We just know that Jesus finds him. He didn't come to Jesus. He, Jesus went to him. Jesus found him. Jesus is on this mission. He's decided that he's leaving the Jordan River and going up to Galilee, and he needs disciples. So he calls Philip and says, follow me. And Philip follows. And not only does he follow, he invites others to follow. See, Philip right away turns around and he goes and finds another friend, Nathaniel. Now, all these guys are from Bethsaida, this town on the the Sea of Galilee, close enough to the Jordan River that they could have gone back and forth between their fishing work and their ministry with John. Now, Philip's friend Nathaniel is a little different from the other ones. He's a skeptic. He's a, a cautious man. He's not quick to drop everything and follow Jesus, but he gets an even fuller picture of who Jesus is. See, the the titles keep escalating. Not only is this the Lamb of God, not only is he the Messiah, uh, this Jesus is the one that Moses wrote about in the law and the one whom the prophets spoke about. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel gets this fuller picture of who Jesus is, but he gets hung up on that one little word at the end, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, it's, it's like the sort of thing that people from rival small towns will say to each other. Can anything good come from Central Lake? Uh, can anything good come from Atwood? Can anything good come from Ellsworth? Uh, can anything good come from East Jordan or, or heaven forbid, Mancelona? Well, no, obviously not, thinks Nathaniel. Nathaniel is from Cana. He's from this rival town that's pretty close to Nazareth, halfway between there and the Sea of Galilee. And he's just repeating the sort of thing that people from small towns say about their rival town. Nothing good can come of those people. Maybe it's half a joke, but half a joke is half true. And and Nazareth is this upland backwater. It's this Hicksville in the hills. It's this town of religious crazies living together trying to get things right. Nazareth, says Philip in the message translation, you've got to be kidding. And to Nathaniel's sharp-edged joke, uh, Philip can only reply with this invitation that Jesus gave. Come and see. And somehow that invitation is perfect for Nathaniel. It's, it's enough to entice him to come and meet Jesus. Even a skeptic will come and see. And so he goes with Philip. And again, Jesus has things to say before he can get a word out. Here is an Israelite, says Jesus. Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, what does Jesus mean about this? Well, I think back to the book of Genesis when we heard the story of Jacob. Uh, Jacob the trickster. Jacob the heel grabber born uh, right after his brother Esau. He, he tricked him out of the inheritance with a pot of beans. He deceives his dad with uh, some red stew and some, some of his brother's clothes. And he gets the blessing of the firstborn. And then he flees his father's camp and he goes off to his uncle Laban's place. 
And there his uncle tricks him into marrying the wrong girl and then working for free for 14 years. And and Jacob in turn swindles his uncle Laban out of all the flocks and treasures and his daughters and he flees back home. And yet God chose Jacob. Jacob and named him Israel and made many of his his children into this great nation, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And here Jesus is saying, this man is an Israel in whom there is no Jacob He's the real deal. He's no trickster. He's as true as they come. Now, this isn't the last we'll hear of the story of Jacob in these few verses. So don't forget, we'll come right back to it. But Jesus tells Nathanael that he saw him under a fig tree uh, before Philip came to him. And somehow that is enough for Nathanael to know who Jesus is that he's the the son of God, that he's the king of Israel. And these titles keep escalating from lamb to Messiah to king uh, to promised one of God to son of God to king of Israel. How can he know this? Well, it's a sign. Back in uh, the uh, prophet Zechariah chapter 3, it talks about the Messiah coming and how will you know? You will have this sign. Your neighbor will come to you under your fig tree and tell you about him. You will know he is here by that sign. And Nathaniel knows his scriptures. He knows to watch out for the Messiah. And when, Jesus call, when, um, when Philip calls him out from under the fig tree, Nathaniel knows what this means. Jesus is not just a, a what, but a who. He is who people say he is. He is the, the promised one, the Messiah, the, the chosen one of God. And Jesus is so amazed that Nathaniel will come on just that evidence because it's just the beginning. Come and see is more than just a present tense calling. It's a, a future tense too. Come and you will see. Come and you will see greater things than these. You will see heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus here is pointing back to the story of Jacob again. Remember how Jacob, after he fled from his uncle Laban's place, or was fleeing, sorry, the first time he fled, Jacob was fleeing from his father's place to his uncle Laban, and he falls asleep, tired in the desert, and he has this dream, this vision of a a staircase to heaven. And he sees angels going up and down, and he sees the Lord right there beside him. And God that day promised to be with him in a way that he hadn't even promised to, to his uh, forefathers before him, to Abraham and Isaac. Oh, he, he got all those other promises too. The blessing of land and descendants and God's blessing to bless all other nations. But he got God's presence. I will be with you. And so Jacob names that place Bethel, the house of God. And that place is where God is present he says, and that place becomes a place of worship generations later when the people of Israel come back to the promised land. It's where they pitch the tabernacle. It's where Hannah comes to pray before God for a son, and it's where God gives her Samuel. It's where Samuel served in the house of the Lord, and it was always this place of worship even after they built the the temple in Jerusalem. Now look at where Jesus puts himself in this picture Jesus is not at the top of the stairway. Jesus is not sitting on the throne. No, Jesus is below where the angels are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is right there next to Jacob. Jesus is with him. Jesus is in God's place because Jesus is the Lord of all. The Word made flesh who pitched his tabernacle among us, who dwelt with us, who stays with us, who abides with us, who is the house of God's presence always with humankind. 
That's the Jesus who Nathaniel meets on this day. Come and see, says Jesus. Come and see. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to come and you will see great things where everyone who meets Jesus turns around and calls another to come as well. Come and you will see great things. Come and you will see Jesus do signs and wonders. Come and you will see the, the people of the word made flesh do these things that, that no one could imagine would happen. Come and you will see who Jesus is. And I've heard many experts of missions here in North America say that most people would respond well to that invitation. Come and see. Come and see what it's like to hear God's word in in communion and live it out together. Come and see what the church, the body of Christ, is like doing her best to follow Jesus. Come and see. You will see Jesus. You will see the Word made flesh. You will see and know Him as Messiah and King and Savior and Lamb. You will know Him, and He will know you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. A Word made flesh who dwells among us, Jesus Christ, we long to know you and see you, and your invitation of open arms to come and see is one that we want to receive and and to follow you, and, and then to turn and invite others to come and see, pointing to you dwelling with us, you who are always with us and for us, you who uh, abide with us. So we pray that you may shape us into these people who come and see, and then turn and invite others to come and see you. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. To, to be transformed by it like the disciples, to, to turn and follow with the, the barest scraps of understanding of who you are because we want to know you. We want to come and see, for we know that we will see you revealed in glory and power, the, the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the, the glory of your throne, the, the Lamb who was slain and yet is alive, sitting at the right hand of God. We long for that day, and we look to it, and we ask that you open our eyes by your Spirit to see your presence even now with us, that we may be your people. For in Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.